It's Monday. It's morning. And it is macabre. Welcome to Monday Morning Macabre. I'm Darcy. I'm Scones. That's that's Scones. Uh, welcome to the show where we talk about creepy stuff and... Uh, and you like it. And you like it. Our intros have gotten nowhere. <laughs> We've there's no standard I basically, format. <laughs> there's no, yeah, we don't have a format. It's very uh, very free flowing, organic, improvisational. You know, we have to thoroughly go over who says Monday morning and then the who else says macabre every yeah, time. Every <laughs> single time, because there's a pattern apparently, but I don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> that is what I've been told. We are still at the in the dungeon of the Slinging Dingers. Uh, volcano headquarters shaped like a skull shaped like a skull COVID-19 is in full force we are remote so apologies for that but hey some podcasts aren't even going you know but here we are putting in the work to make the tent today I'm going to be presenting scones with this with I'm going to bring the spooky and he's going to bring his uh wonderful personality my awe and wonder and maybe horror <laughs> and actually today scones is a i'm this will be an intriguing topic to you because you have a personal connection to this i have a personal connection you have a personal connection to the topic at hand are you gonna like say that my dad was like the zodiac killer <laughs> <laughs> uh yes your father <laughs> is the zodiac killer and i have proof and the fbi is outside of your house right now <laughs> Um, Why would they come for me? <laughs> well, that's they see the Zodiac's so good that he f- managed to frame it all. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Today, Scones, we're talking about National Park missing individuals. Ooh, and that is related to things me. that happened in the forest. So for those, I assume no one who really listens to this, the majority of people don't know, I was a park ranger at a national park for uh, a time in my life. No longer, sadly. It was a fun job. I liked it a lot, but uh, support your national parks. Did you ever come across any spooky business whilst being a park ranger? So yes, actually. Not personally, but I did hear about spooky business through other rangers. Do tell, do tell, do tell, sister. One was another ranger, actually a state park ranger, who I guess he was going for a cigarette break in the woods, and he went out, and, you know, the woods are also kind of your break room when you're a park ranger, so he was just taking a walk, (laughs) and he found a bunch of sacrificed animals, so chickens and goats, and then two trees with like metal restraints on them, So and then a bunch of like underwear and people's clothes everywhere and blood. Wow, that <laughs> the tree and metal restraint thing that's that's yeah. Uh, so the area has a lot of Santeria, but it looks like some people had so Santeria. Um, there's a lot of Haitian people in the area where he was, and they practice Santeria. Do you which or has, do you not? Oh, they do practice Santeria, yeah. They, do they got, got crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> have you met Sancho? <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> Keep going, whole song, go. Uh, uh, uh podcast. Slinger right. Dingers will pay us to do that too. <laughs> but so 
Um, Santeria involves a lot of animal sacrifice. Well, not a lot of it, but the occasional animal sacrifice. The human who is probably trained to that tree, that's not part of it. So someone clearly took it farther than that. Nice. And like the state sex crimes unit and stuff had to be called in and it was like a crime scene and tried to keep, you know, the the media was kept away from it. The park rangers see a lot of shit that the media keeps away from. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> that all range from like terrorist attacks to stuff like that to people doing Really weird, strange stuff. So, thanks to Park Rangers for uh, putting up with weirdos. Shout out to the Park Rangers. Which Park Ranger were you? The white, the pink, the yellow? Black? I was the Mastodon, so yellow. Oh. Okay. I was the foot in the Megazord. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Because everyone knows there's five Park Rangers. Yes. And yeah. Okay. So, I wanted to talk about. I don't know if you've ever read any of like the Missing 411 or know what Missing 411 is, any of the books or the website or anything like that. Are you familiar? I am not. Hit me with the 411 on the 411. Yeah. So the 411 on Missing 411 is that David Politis is this author slash guy who has compiled like thousands of missing persons reports in national parks because apparently just an insane amount of people go missing there and uh so he was like wow this is weird um so <laughs> wait which national park just national parks in general just just like in general he has multiple books like some are like specific states some are specific parks some are like international etc that's awesome well not yeah. awesome for the people but an awesome it's, it's very for, uh yeah, bring it's a very light. interesting read and i came across a few different cases that i want to discuss and we're gonna go from like most straightforward and eerily enough and kind of related to what you just said which is gonna be cool <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> nice. if cool is the right word but it's gonna be fucking rad bro and we're gonna get progressively more just batshit insane as we go nice so our first case is a disturbing unsolved murder of the cowden family the Cowden family. C-O-W-D-E-N, Cowden. So this took place in 1974. Richard Cowden, 28, his wife Belinda, 22, and their children David and Melissa, as well as their dog Droopy, went camping in the No Siskiyou way, Mountain. a Droopy dog? <laughs> yeah, Droopy dog is involved. Oh man, what episode was that? <laughs> Droopy, you're back. I'm glad Droopy came back for this episode. He's yeah, Droopy a was like, hey, the book. Yeah, that would do. That wasn't earlier. Anyway, so they went camping in the Siskiyou Mountains near Carberry Creek in Oregon, and that was over Labor Day weekend of 1974. Seven months later, in April of 1975, their bodies were discovered around seven miles Ooh. from their campsite. Oh, so not just missing, they're found. Uh, they are found, yes. They are found, and they unfortunately are deceased. The case remains unsolved and has been described as one of the most mysterious murder stories in American history. Now I have a question. Although, yes, go was ahead. Droopy Dog found along with the people? Droopy Dog, uh, he was a totally happy dude like three days prior to this happening. And then this happened and now he's just depressed all the time. <laughs> That's the origin story of Droopy Dog's demeanor. <laughs> no, I think Droopy Dog, I think the dog is all, we'll get to it. <laughs> anyway. The Cowden family loved to camp, and they weren't planning on going camping that weekend because <laughs> Richard, who was a... <laughs> they loved to camp. Spun. They were going to do it. The, camp, the campsite really snuck up on them that weekend. Yeah, yeah. It they ambushed in them in the room. middle of the night. Yeah, they're in the living room. They all woke up, and they were on a campsite. <laughs> that would be fucking terrifying. 
Maybe that's one of the scariest things I can think of. Yeah, honestly. Just waking uh, up at a campsite with Droopy Dog and being like, what's going on, Droopy? <laughs> it's like, maybe you think happened for a reason. Um, so, <laughs> Droopy, you're very relaxed. <laughs> Bro, hit this. Uh, so. <laughs> um, so. Wow, I'm so off. Anyway, okay, so Richard, the father, is a, a logging truck driver, and he was going to be spending the weekend doing his job. However, his truck broke down, so instead they're like, screw it. <laughs> Who needs jobs? Let's go for a camping trip, right? So on Sunday, September 1st, Richard and David went to the Copper General Store on foot at approximately 9 a.m. to buy some milk. They left the store and headed back to their campsite. This was the last oh, sighting of the cow. milk Cowden. camping? Oh, my God. <laughs> This was the last sighting of the Cowden family. <laughs> so David is the son, Richard the father. They go, buy milk, leave, last time anyone sees him. That evening, Belinda's mother, who lived less than a mile from the campground, was expecting the family to come over for dinner on their way home. However, they failed to show up, so she goes to the campsite, and she's like, okay, let's, let's go find them, because, again, she's very close to where they were camping. But when she arrived, there was no sign of the Cowdens, and the truck was parked with the keys on the picnic table. A plastic dishpan full of cold water lay on the ground, and Belinda's purse was in plain sight on the table. A diaper bag and camp stove were set up, and a half-finished carton of milk was also present. So, so we got a crime scene. So we got a crime scene. Also, the milk matched the milk that was bought at the store earlier that day. <laughs> the... the <laughs> There wasn't another milk planted at the scene. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, they bought 2%. This is, this the is one milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just an intern trying to fucking figure it out yeah. really hard. Um, there was Now, what's strange is that Richard had an expensive wristwatch and wallet, and they were just sitting there on the ground. Yeah, that I was going to say that and the purse are strange. Yeah, completely untouched, so it's not a robbery, which is, you know, the police can rule that out pretty much immediately. After waiting for about an hour, Belinda's mother left the campground to notify the authorities because she was just assuming they had gone somewhere and waiting for her to come back. So she gets the sheriff and his he brings troops, like officers, and the officers search the area until it grows dark and they couldn't see anything. Lieutenant Mark Kazar, who headed the case, would later state that the investigation had been delayed for maybe a day because of the lack of indication that anything violent may have occurred at the campsite. A state trooper, Officer Erickson, recalled, That camp was spooky. Even the milk was still on the table. (laughs) He he gets it. (laughs) Wait, what's his name? Officer what? Officer Erickson. Officer Erickson is on the case. (laughs) That camp was spooky. It's not the same milk. (laughs) Yeah, he's the one who... Solve the milk mystery. So the following morning, Droopy shows up at the Copper General store. So Droopy's alive in the middle. Droopy dog, yes. Droopy the dog. We have to clarify there's a the there because that would be way different. And Droopy dog being like, come like the cartoon coming out of the woods all beat up. (laughs) Like you don't know what I've seen. (laughs) So he shows up at the general store where they bought the milk. Now, the search for the Cowden family is one of the largest in Oregon history and included state and local police. It also included, like, Explorer Scouts and the Forest Service, National Guard, volunteers. Like, everybody's going out trying to find these people, right? So, 
Despite the large search effort, no sign was found apart from the dog showing up, and the official search of the area was suspended on September 7th. But friends and relatives of the family spent many weekends of vacations trying to look for, like, bodies or something. The family wasn't behind on payments. Richard earned plenty of money, so it was unlikely that they voluntarily disappeared or, like, tried to make a new life for themselves. No bodies were found in the creek, which ruled out accidental drowning, so everyone was baffled, essentially. And then, seven months later, on April 12th, 1975, two gold prospectors, which apparently were still around in the 70s, what? I don't... I don't yeah, believe I, you. I think they're like old-timey, like, wearing overalls. Yeah, we like, like over, exactly, overalls, like, one tooth made of gold. They're like... Ooh-wee. We were down there painted in the river. <laughs> they're like, they have, like, an old, like, Oregon Trail-style wagon in the car. Yeah, right. Like, what is this? <laughs> they're like, wait, where did you get this? Um... So the two two gold prospectors are hiking through the woods near Carberry Creek when they discover the decomposing body of an adult male tied to a tree Uh on a steep hillside seven miles from the location of the campsite. Now, that tying to the tree was where I was like, oh, shoot. (laughs) Did did I solve the mystery? (laughs) That thing that Scones just mentioned. (laughs) People being tied to trees apparently is a common theme. (laughs) You're like, and scones was carved into the tree. (laughs) (laughs) Scones 424-2020 was carved into the tree (laughs) back in 1970. (laughs) So they find this decomposing body. Yikes. And then in a small, yeah, big yikes. And then in a small cave nearby, the bodies of an adult female, a child, and an infant were also discovered. Oh, one of the kids was like an infant. Yeah, yeah. The entrance of the cave was sealed with rocks to disguise it and hide the bodies, and the bodies were ID'd with dental records. The autopsy revealed that Belinda and five-year-old David had died as a result of a gunshot wound from a twenty-two caliber handgun, and the baby had severe head trauma. Big yikes. They were unable to determine the cause of Richard's death, but I, I think we can assume that being tied like to a tree... Tortured or something. Uh, yeah. Not way good. more gruesome than a twenty-two to the head. Yes. So, Which is already gruesome. <laughs> police initially think that maybe that Richard might have murdered his family, although I don't know why you would think that, given <laughs> the fact that he's tied to a tree. So they did, they were like searching the area for weapons or something to just anything they could find to, as a murder weapon, but there was none found. So Lieutenant Mark Kazar said that the whole nature of the thing smacks of a weirdo. Yeah, it smacks, dude. It smacks hard. So, people are baffled. I'm baffled. Right. Now, one family from L.A. had arrived at the campground at, f- at 3 p.m. on September 1st, and whilst walking in the park that evening, they witnessed two men and a woman parking nearby in a pickup truck. They said they acted like they were waiting for us to leave, and frankly, they made us nervous, so we moved on. Based on the location of Belinda and her children's bodies inside the cave, Lieutenant Kazar suspected that the person responsible was a local resident who knew the area and was aware of the cave's location. After the family's remains were recovered, a resident of Grant's Pass who had volunteered in the search told police that he had searched the cave where Belinda and children's body were found in September of 1974 and that they were not there at the time. To confirm the story, police had men take them to the cave he had searched, and it was indeed the same cave. So... This is where Dwayne Lee Little enters the story. Dwayne Lee Little? Yeah. DLL, dude. Yeah. Dwayne Lee Little uh, has been implicated but never charged with the murders. 
Oh, I thought he was going to be like a, a no. cool private eye. No, no he's the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the bad guy. He had been paroled from the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem on May 24th, 1974, three months prior to the Cowden's disappearances. On November 2nd, 1964, he had raped and murdered a teenager. He's looking pretty fucking guilty. <laughs> Whatever that date is. <laughs> yeah. So Little's girlfriend had told law enforcement that she'd seen him with a 22 caliber handgun during Christmas. That guy has Christmas. a girlfriend? Yeah. Dude. I mean, people like worship like Ted Bundy and shit. Like, I don't know. Or what's that guy with the samurai sword in his ceiling or whatever we talked about before? Oh, that's true, yeah. D-D-D-Atlov? No. D-D-D-Atlov? It's all connected. Everything we've ever talked about is connected. How insane would that be if we had somehow made an intricate podcast plot to... That would be incredible. I wish I was capable of that kind of creativity and storytelling. Right. Nope. We're just big dum-dums who can read shit. Big dum dums looking for a handout from Chrissy fucking Teague. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Little's girlfriend told law enforcement that she had seen him with a 22 caliber handgun during Christmas of 1974. Just a classic Christmas handgun, you know? Just Dude, sitting by the tree. It's like the opposite of a Christmas story. <laughs> yeah, just pa- yeah, exactly. You need to shoot your eye out. <laughs> <laughs> Police believe that the two men and the women in a tr- in the truck that was reported by the Los Angeles family at the campground were in fact Little and his parents, as their truck matched the description provided by the family. Little and his parents denied any knowledge of the Cowden's disappearances. However, a miner who cabined nearby claimed that Little and his parents had kept stopping by on Monday, September 2nd, and signed a guestbook he had for visitors. Floyd Forsberg, an inmate who at one time shared a cell with Little, would later claim that Little confessed to the murders. So, while the facts behind the Cowden's murder ran a mystery, foul play was certain, and Dwayne Lee Little is the prime suspect, although never charged. So he's just a creeper that's walking around the woods with his parents? Yeah, he's he's just <laughs> a, a dude who was... Like an inmate just hanging, I mean, not an inmate at that time, he was paroled or whatever. A parolee hanging out in the woods. With his parents. With his parents, like a real creeper. This kind of has like a stranger's vibe. Yeah, it does, right? I had the exact same thought. Like the whole family and him. Yes, it does. So, but he is never, they never can link anything to Dwayne Lee Little, and it is still unsolved to this day. I'm kind of surprised. It has cult or like. Some kind of ritualistic vibes, the way what's his name is tied up to a tree. Especially yeah. since, like, if they tied him up, it didn't seem like they're like interrogating him or they'd want anything from him. I I feel like if you were interrogating someone, you'd want like money or something, and that was clearly not the objective when they didn't take anything from the campsite. Right. So, do we think that the 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 littles came to the campsite and were like, I, "Hey, we're gonna take a walk in the woods" type of thing? That's, I mean, that's like, and uh, that's Dog what was people, like, see people, people <laughs> yeah, people think that he, they, he came with a gun and was like, Hey, you guys got to start walking now. Hey, we're going into the woods. Leave the milk. <laughs> Listen, we need this milk. 2020 is going to be wild. No and we're prepping. Milk where we're going. So, yeah. So that's the first story. Story. Oh, number there's m- more. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got two more stories. You and I have more of a treat coming. That are a little quicker. Um, I got nothing else to do in this pandemic. I hope they're as long and arduous as possible. All right. The next one is me reading the entire encyclopedia. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, number number o deuce is also. I should say that that last uh, was that last story was from the strangeoutdoors.com. Hey, strangeoutdoors.com. Shout out you guys. I think I might have used them for the Turnbull Canyon episode as well. Oh, that's possible. They, oh yeah, I think you did actually. Good job, Straight Outdoors. Hey, shout out to you guys. We're standing on the shoulders of giants. Next one's coming from CoolInterestingStuff.com. Oh, now I'm in. The Strange Disappearance of Keith Reinhard. Keith Reinhard? Yes. The tiny village of Silver Plume, Colorado, population 200, lies oh, in the heart small. of the Rocky Mountains. On September 7th, 1987, Tom Young closed up his bookshop on Main Street and along with his dog, Gus, disappeared. Nine months later, a new resident of Silver Plume, Keith Reinhard, opened an antique shop at the exact same location. On August 7th, 1988, Keith closed up shop for the day. Less than two hours later, Reinhard also disappeared. In a national park? Yeah, yes, they go to a nearby national park. So let's get into this because it's got some weird coincidences and it's an overall super creepy vibe. Really? So... Yeah, so Keith Reinhardt moved to Silver Plume from Chicago with three goals. He wanted to get in shape by mountain climbing, overcome his fear of heights, and begin writing a novel. I thought you were going to say he's he's looking for gold and to set up his ranch in the West (laughs) or something very old-timey like that last one. Unfortunately, no. I wish. So, during his sabbatical, Keith wanted to try running an antique shop geared towards summer tourists. If he was successful, he had hoped that him and his wife could relocate there permanently. So nine months earlier to purchasing the antique shop, the shop had been a bookstore. Tom Young, the man who mysteriously disappeared with his dog, had run the store for about a year. Tom had told people he was taking a vacation to Europe, and then three weeks went by. Nobody saw him or heard from him, and everyone got very suspicious of his absence. Keith Reinhardt became obsessed by the unexplained disappearance and began talking to everyone in Silver Plume who had known Tom. Oh, he's Eventually, pulling in strings. Yeah, so he moves there a year later, buys the same store that the first guy was at, and is like, hey, what happened to this dude? Are you going to tell me at the end that all these people who disappeared all had Droopy Dog as their dog <laughs> yeah. at one point? And- <laughs> they were all voice actors at one point for Droopy Dog. <laughs> <laughs> so Keith decided, after talking to all these people, that he was going to base his novel on Tom Young. And he created a character named Guy Gypsum, a composite of himself and Tom. And according to his daughter, Tiffany, it seemed hard to tell the difference between fact and fiction for Keith. Is he a crazy person or what do you mean? Well, so this is a quote that Tiffany says. Writers like to live the story you're there writing about. Get a feel of it so it's easier for them to write about it. Maybe my father, it's always possible, wanted to feel what it's like to disappear so he could write about it. So his daughter is thinking maybe my author father wanted to like do some method acting he's and becoming do what guy Tom gypsum did. yeah so on july 31st 1988 10 months after tom young disappears two young hunters find the remains of tom and his dog in the mountains near silver plume each had died from a bullet to the head one of the first investigators on the scene dave Dowenhauer, is quoted as saying they were up there exploring some territory for the bow hunting season which was coming up and they found his remains also found at the scene was a revolver in subsequent investigation, we found out that Tom had purchased a gun approximately four days before he was last seen. The Tom Young case is closed and has been ruled a suicide. What? So, they Wait, think I that thought he was Tom found with sh- someone else. He was with his dog. 
So they think he shot the dog and then shot himself. Oh, what the fuck? Why would you shoot the dog at that point? I don't know. That he's an asshole, if that's true. But So a week after Tom's body is found, Keith Reinhardt starts walking through town and tells everyone that he's going to climb to the top of the nearby Pendleton Mountain. One of the stops he made, as he was telling everybody, was uh, Ted Parker's Cafe. And there's a quote. He was in the cafe and told me he was going to make it to the top of the mountain. If I don't come back, call on the rescue. And he said that in jest, I felt. I have this picture of him pointing to the mountain and saying goodbye. That was the last time we saw him. So, Keith was last seen walking towards Pendleton Mountain at 4.30 in the afternoon. Far too late in the day to begin a difficult six-hour hike. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, and then that night, Keith Reinhardt did not return. The next day, helicopters were called to search the mountain. And more than 125 men and a dozen trained dogs combed the difficult terrain for seven days after the fact. So he goes missing. And what's interesting is the, the, the coincidences between them owning the same shop and having identical disappearances. And then coupled with the fact that in 30 years of operation, the Colorado Alpine Rescue Team had found every single person they searched for. However, they discovered no trace of Keith. They must have been pissed he ruined their fucking perfect record. <laughs> yeah. They had to reset the cat like the little counting thing of like yeah. days since days since lost. missing. <laughs> yeah. So some have concluded that Keith and Tom Young were murdered, noting that both men rented the same space to run their shops. Perhaps they both came across some information someone didn't want them to know. Another theory is that Keith planned his own disappearance, however, Carolyn Reinhardt disagreed with that theory. I don't think that Keith would be the type of person to walk away from his entire life and leave it behind him. He loved the people in his life. He loved keeping in touch with them. And I don't think he could have left them all behind him. That was his wife. And then some of Keith Reinhardt's friends recall that he was fascinated by the idea of visiting West Virginia. Also, Keith attended a party the night before he disappeared. Witnesses say he spent a good deal of time talking to a woman named Greta or Gretchen, who is probably from Denver. Police would like to talk to her. They hope she can remember something he said that would yield a clue to his whereabouts, if indeed he is still alive. Old Denver Gretchen knows. So, that one... Wait, what does the West Virginia part have to do with anything? I think they were just saying... They were just including that to be like, he Maybe might have he just, just left for West Virginia. bailed. Yeah, but people are like, he wouldn't do that because he was trying to get his wife and people like his yeah. family to move to where he is. I was going to say, who buys an antique store and then moves... Across the country from that. So this one has a little more mystery with it because of the whole Tom Young, Keith Reinhardt going missing thing and the the store that they both mutually owned. Yeah, that that gives me vibes of like, remember the letters episode where the guy was obsessed with the the house and whoever inhabited it? Maybe there's someone who's like obsessed with that building and didn't like the people in it or like he want they wanted it or something. I don't know. Yeah. So. That one's slightly more kind of bizarre and strange. The first one's like mysterious because it's unsolved, but it's a pretty straightforward uh, like event. This one's got a little more mystique to it. <laughs> the first one was probably some weirdo man child and his parents in the woods. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and this one is... It's interesting the way you gave the information for this one because it seemed like his daughter even hinted that maybe he was like obsessed with living the life of yeah. people he wrote and he wanted to go out and like put himself right. in a dangerous situation to live that life i'm yeah would bet that he wasn't crazy enough to be like i'm gonna die like this guy but maybe he was like i'm gonna put myself in a dangerous situation to live the life of my character right and then just messed it up yeah 
yeah so there's there's a couple of thoughts there where it's like yeah it could have been that it could have been some strange person who loved this store and was but these people went off on their own so you have to assume that i like your theory like that the theory of he was trying to live more like tom so that he could write about it better and then made a Fucking big mistake yeah. and realized like hey this guy died doing this maybe <laughs> I'm, i guess i'm just gonna do the same thing and then this last story is just just batshit crazy, and it's like my favorite missing four one one story ever. Nice. This comes to us from downthechupacabrahole.com. dot com. Oh my gosh! Take us so far down the chupacabra yep. hole. We're going down into that sea hole. Uh, so take us deep into the sea hole. Little boy in the cave and his robot grandma. His wait. Yep. So we're deep in the chupacabra so, hole about a boy and his robot grandma? Yep. Okay, I just wanted to establish this. <laughs> yep, established. It has been established. <laughs> There's a robot grandma and a little boy in a cave, and we're in the chupacabra hole. So, October 1st, 2010, three-and-a-half-year-old John Doe and his relatives were... Can't, obviously, John Doe is his not really his name. It's He is a child, and it's not given the actual name. The family is kept anonymous. Yeah, because they're all robots, it sounds like. <laughs> Can you imagine if it's about a robot and this fucking name is, is John Doe? <laughs> when you say it, it sounds like a shitty like 80s knockoff of like the movie Short Circuit or something, where it's like, yeah. my grandma's a robot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god, how am I going to go to prom like, now? This summer, his grandma's <laughs> struck by lightning. And it's like a kid who's into yeah. robotics, and he wakes up, and his grandmother's It's just Robin Williams robot. is a fucking yeah. robot grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and just like lightning striking him. <laughs> and he wins the science fair at the end of the movie with his grandma <laughs> robot. <laughs> Writes its fucking self. So, 2010, three and a half year old John Doe and his relatives were camping by a popular fly fishing location near Mount Shasta. Around 6 p.m., Wait, what the child is this in? Sorry. Uh, Mount Shasta is in California. California. Yeah, this is a California. Oh, California. Super cool to the homeless. So, around 6 p.m., the child's parents realized that their son had suddenly gone missing. According to Mr. Doe, his youngster was there one second and gone the next. They scoured the area he had last been seen in complete panic-stricken horror. After hours of feverishly searching, the little boy still had not turned up. Now desperate and distraught, the father decided to call the local police and the United States Forest Service officers. Rescue personnel combed the forests well into the night, but there was no sign of the toddler. Five hours after John had disappeared, authorities found him laying down in a brush directly next to a trail that had been previously searched. He appeared to be in a dazed, semi-conscious state, which Mr. and Mrs. Doe attributed to this exhaustion, but they were simply grateful that their little one returned physically unharmed. So they find the child, and he comes back. Everyone is happy. A right, a a little bit of a a little light turn. Medical staff give him full clearance, so the freshly reunited family are permitted to return home, and everyone's lives quickly go back to normal. Yet only a few weeks later, the small boy would share a disturbing tale about his terrifying ordeal. Oh, jeez. Hmm. One day, John's grandmother Kathy, who is also called Cappy was playing with her grandson. Suddenly, he looked towards her and said that he didn't like the other grandma, Cappy. Confused, she asked him what exactly he meant. 
John explains that while he was lost in the woods, he had been taken deep inside a mountainside cave by a woman he had thought was Grandma Cappy. She led him into a cool, dark, spider-infested room filled with motionless humanoid robots. Scattered across the floor were dusty purses, guns, and various types of other weapons. What the fuck? (laughs) This kid ran into robot witches in the woods? Yep. That's what he is claiming. Now, again, he's three and a half, right? So you got to be like, okay, John, you're... Hey, hey, John, you're kind of... Hey, John, you're either telling the truth and it's really scary, or you're going to grow up to kill your whole family, which is also scary. <laughs> which one's it going to be? Tell us right now. Which one's going to be? Come on, John. So, come on, John. As John anxiously faced his grandparent, he noticed an eerie light radiating from her head. In this moment, he realized she was not his real grandma. Cappy firmly instructed the boy to defecate on a piece of paper. When he refused, she became increasingly agitated and repeatedly requested him to do so. So now Robot Robin Williams is like, take a shit on this piece of paper. Poop on the paper. Yeah, poop on the paper. Oh, oh and, poop on the paper. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> she, she keeps asking. <laughs> poop on the paper. She keeps asking him to do it. And eventually, and he keeps going, I'm not going to poop on the paper because I don't have to go potty. So the grandma eventually succumbs to frustration and moves on to a different topic. Allegedly, she informed John that he had been planted in his mother's womb and was actually from outer space. Shortly after this extraordinary account, she took the boy back outside the thicket and advised him to wait for help. So, that's the boy's story of what happened over the course of the hours he went missing. That's fucking horrifying and insanely (laughs) imaginative for a three-year-old. Right. So, that's where people are like, okay, that's crazy, but also like... Insane for a three-year-old to come up with all this. Yeah, you're going to tell me this kid grew up to be like Ridley Scott or something. (laughs) (laughs) So, upon hearing this disturbing story, an outraged Kathy, who is now the actual grandma, right? Cut back to grandma in real life. Non-robot grandma. She calls her son, who is John Doe's father, and demands to know what he was allowing John Doe to watch on TV. Because she's like, okay, she saw some crazy shit. Yeah, Twilight Zone. Like, yeah. Now, Mr. Doe lamented that he had heard an identical recollection only a few days prior. Initially, the two chalked it up to an overactive imagination, as you and I would probably also. However, the more that Kathy, the grandmother, thought about it, the more John's story perplexed her. What kind of TV show would feature some of these ludicrous topics that the boy described? Even more chilling was the idea that she might have some kind of doppelganger assuming her identity in order to abduct innocent victims. Now, with those particular thoughts in mind, Kathy decided to share a haunting experience of her own. Only a year before, she had gone on a camping trip within close proximity to where John's ordeal occurred. In the morning, she awoke face down in the dirt. She had been inexplicably removed from the sleeping bag within her tent and transferred a short distance away. Upon rousing, she felt an intense pain at the base of her neck. Two puncture wounds were present, and the surrounding skin was red and inflamed. Another friend who accompanied her on the excursion suffered a matching affliction. The pair originally attributed these injuries to possible spider bites. The spiders dragged them out of the tent and, like, bit them? (laughs) Well, that so that's they're like, like Italian mafia spiders. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't do not they understand mafia. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Grandma's a lesson. 
So both Kathy and her travel companion become violently ill. In fact, she was so sick that she could not even muster the strength to pack her things. Her mind raced as she desperately tried to recall what happened mere hours ago, but only one thing surfaced. Glowing red eyes. I thought you were going to say poop on a piece of paper. (laughs) While she was drifting into sleep, she remembered seeing several creatures gazing through the darkness. At the time, she assumed they were produced by a herd of deer. However, following this (laughs) traumatizing... What fucking deer (laughs) did she come across in her life? Bro, we're down the chupacabra hole. You got to remember. That's true. You don't know what you're going to see down the sea hole. Right. So at the time, she assumed that they were produced by a herd of deer... But following this traumatizing outing, Kathy felt completely drained of her creativity and emotions. Several months would pass before she felt like her old self again. Admittedly, Grandma Cappy would have dismissed her episode had John not come forward with a first-hand encounter. So, that is the story of the little boy and his robot grandma. And <laughs> That's incredible. That shit's nuts. That I one loved I... It. I loved even, every minute of it. I wouldn't even begin to toss a theory at what actually happened. I, I, don't, <laughs> right. I have no idea. The fact that the kid's only three. Like, like another another thing of like, okay, this kid's insane until the grandma's like, well, yeah, but I also did like a very similar thing happen to me. And you're like, son of a bitch. Like, we have no idea. What like what year was this? This was 2010. This is 10 oh, years ago. that's scary. There is a, yeah. the only like possible thing is that that... In, like, the present day age, there's a lot more on TV that could influence a story like that. Right. But still, like, that was... It's weirdly specific for a three-year-old to be like, yeah, Robot Grandma wanted me to poop on a piece of paper, and there was guns everywhere, and, like... And then the grandma story, she, she seems super chillax about... Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she she's does. like, yeah, no, I just woke up outside my tent with two giant holes in my neck, like, attached <laughs> to my spine. I don't know. Must have been Classic spiders. Classic Cappy. Good old Cappy, good old Grandma K. Also, Mount Shasta has a lot of lore and legends pertaining to like UFO sightings, Bigfoot sightings, all the all that good stuff. So it's that a, adds a hot spot little, for the unexplained and for the spookies. Yes. So that's just a little. Someday I hope we can make a pilgrimage to all these places. Yeah, that would be a dude. Yo, Travel Channel, hit us up. Just show your daughter on a big camping <laughs> trip, and she'll <laughs> not sleep the entire I'm time. I'm going to keep her home. <laughs> And not let her go anywhere near Not let her poop on any pieces of paper. So, those are a few national park stories that i thought you might get a kick out of given that you are an old park ranger who yogi bear loved that's true he always used to take my picnic basket that son of a bitch (laughs) until i shot him we're making a serial type show about yogi bear taking the picnic basket (laughs) crime finally explained um (laughs) no that's pretty awesome though but yeah i mean national parks a lot of them are very large and understaffed because Mm. a lot of the time whatever government you know whoever's in government or whatever the funding is does not like there's parks that are 120,000 acres and there'll be three rangers assigned to it so it's like a lot of mysterious stuff and people who like to do mysterious stuff can go into these uninhabited lands and do some creepy stuff but they're also incredible places that you should support and visit and yeah hey (laughs) Go fishing. Take only pictures, leave only footsteps. Hey, poop on paper.
Send yeah, it to us. Don't like <laughs> take people's innocence and leave only bodies. That's the slogan right there. That's the slogan, and that's another episode in the books. Another episode in the books. So is that number thirty? Uh, I think it's twenty nine. Uh, almost so, a good round number. Almost. Hey, we're almost thirty episodes, baby. If that's, anyone's been with since episode one, hey, shout out to you. That released on Halloween here since Mothman. Mothman. It's been and what? His moth memes. Mothman is my, it's all dude. We're over half, over like halfway through a year's worth of podcasts. That's insane. Seeing as how we do these weekly, which is wild. We're incredible. We're the best. We are truly the best. And you know who else is the best? Our loyal listeners. I thought you were going to say Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you all for listening. If you if you want to support the show, tell your friends. Tell your like and subscribe. Then unsubscribe. Resubscribe. Like and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at MMMacabrePod. On Instagram, Monday Morning Macabre. On uh, on our website, MondayMorningMacabre.com. Check it out. Writing reviews also is yes. matters a Writing lot. Writing reviews really helps. And So if you like us, even if you're lukewarm like that one guy who wrote a review, <laughs> I appreciate him. Who was like, if you know what, been, three stars. If you've been listening and you're like to every episode and you want to help us out, that would be how. It would be to give us a nice five-star review. And uh, besides that, just have a good, safe Monday. Yeah, stay healthy. Listen to scientists, please. Yeah, don't inject yourself with any kind of uh, cleaning <laughs> materials. Uh, <laughs> please. And don't put any bleach in your inhaler. And boy. Boy. Boy.